Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. This is episode 188 of the show. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. Thanks for downloading the show. Thanks for listening. Um, and thank you for your patience as I put some best ofs together while some, uh, some stuff's been going on in my life. Um, I'll tell you more about it next week, but um, I am no longer flying up to Brisbane and back every day. So I have a little more time on my sleeve, but uh, I'll tell you about that next week. Thank you so much to Andy, who has been uh, tirelessly putting these shows together. I've been basically emailing him going, mate, I can't, I can't do it this week. He's like, all right, all right, I've got a best of for you. Just chill. Here's, And then Andy writes out all the intros for me. And um, so Andy Ma, my audio producer, for all your podcast needs, andymar.com. Um, thank you, Andy. You're a complete legend. And thank you for the people on Patreon who've been supporting this show, patreon.com slash osher. There is a little snippet here of one of the um, exclusive shows too, which will give you a little hint as to what happens to people who support the show on Patreon. They get access to exclusive episodes, and you're going to hear a little bit of one of them today. Today, look, we, all, we just needed a lift. We needed a lift, so we're going to go with some uh, some of the funniest stories we've had on the show. So I hope they uh, bring some light to your day, whatever you're doing. Thanks so much to everybody that sent in a, a picture of what they're doing while they listen. That's called a podsy, P-O-D-S-I-E. You can email it to me, send us your email at gmail.com, or you can hit me on Twitter or Snapchat or Facebook or Instagram or whatever you want. Um, oh, I've got some great colouring in. Someone sent me some fantastic colouring in that they did while they were listening to Tim Daly. Um I've got some more cooking, which is always good. Some bike riding, uh, some photographs of Launceston in the sunset. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, but whatever you're listening to, whatever you're looking at right now as you're listening to this, just whip your phone out, take a photo with it and send it on to me. I'd love to see it. love to see what's going on. So uh, we're going to listen to a couple, of, a couple of stories to see if we can't lift the mood a little. Adam Richard is coming up. So is Tommy Little, Chasler Chardello, Alice Fraser. We're going to kick off with Pete Hellier. Now, Pete Hellier is an Australian comedian best known as the fella at the end of the desk every night on Network 10 in Australia on the nightly news program, The Project. He is also a producer, a director, a writer, an actor. He's a lovely man. He's very active on Instagram and Twitter, so go follow him if you can. Uh, but yeah, Pete came to the house uh, when I was back living at Bondi. It was brilliant uh, to have him in the home, and he was super keen. He actually chased me down because I remember I mentioned it to him about a year ago. Every time I saw him, he was like, what are we doing on the podcast, mate? When are we going to do it? I was thrilled that someone of his caliber was so stoked into doing this. So this is Pete Hellier, and this is me asking him about the first time that he got just an inkling that he might end up doing 
what he now does very well. I remember in grade two, I wrote a sentence, <laughs> E.T. is a very popular movie, full stop. And the teacher said to me, that's excellent use of the word popular. And I thought, oh, cool, I'm a good writer. <laughs> it's such an innocuous, it was such an innocuous sentence. And I, like my kids would have written that sentence in prep, I reckon, uh, you know. Um, but I, it, it just kind of, it made me kind of think, oh, maybe I'm a, maybe I can write. And then I would, um, I wrote a, uh, it was on a big, big bit of white cardboard and I did like you know, a big kind of bubble kind of, you know, bubble kind of uh, heading in different colored textures, a story called um, Parents Only. And it was, um, it was something like um, um, I wanted to eat some of the cake in the fridge, but mum said, no, parents only. And I wanted to do this. And, no, parents only. I wanted to drive the car. No, parents only. And then the twist was at the end. It was like mum and then mum said she wanted to ride my bike. And I was like, nah, kids only. <laughs> and the teacher read it in front of the class. Or she got me to read it in front of the class. And everyone laughed. Uh, and again, it was just a light bulb moment of yeah. like, oh, yeah. the stories are cool. So then I would write these stories uh, and I've got them. Uh, I got them out recently and I read them to a um, – I've actually just written a kid's book which is coming out next year. And I just told the publishing uh, company about this um, – these books and they, they said, oh, can you bring it, keeping fine, can you bring them in? And I brought them in and they were like Indiana Hallier um, and the the Rackers of the Lost Park. Yeah. Rackers is not even a word. Like it could have just been Raiders of the Lost Park. You know, you yeah. need to change one word. Um, uh, and it was about me and my mate uh, Michael Stones was his name. So he became Shorty Stones because, you know, short, uh, uh, Shorty was the character in uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I wrote a series of books called Me, the Sports Star. <laughs> me, it had me winning Wimbledon and me winning, you know, the Masters Golf and, <laughs> and various things and, and uh, winning the Melbourne Cup. And I just like really enjoyed it. I remember thinking that people were anticipating <laughs> whether that was in my head or not, but I always got to read the stories out to the class. And it was kind of it was kind of inspiring from international you know? bestseller Tom Clancy and <laughs> Pete Hellier. Well, what was really funny was I I didn't really I had forgotten this, but on the on the when I got them out recently on the covers they had this little emblem and there was like two uh, little squares next to each adjoining next to each other with BB written and and da- written down downwards was like better books. So I had my own label. I like it. I had my own <laughs> better books. So. Um, yeah, that was. I reckon that was the light bulb moments. Oh, when of you get me that first laugh, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 the first laugh probably would have been somewhere yeah. in there, you know. Um, yeah, uh, certainly. And then, you know, when I got a bit older, we used to have comedy nights at the, the local footy and cricket club, and comedians would come out. And and I remember, I remember thinking like Russell Gilbert would come out. I'm thinking that's, oh, geez, I wouldn't mind doing that. And I um I got up and um. I started going to see, see some comedy. I saw Greg Fleet at the comedy club and I was like, that's what I want to do. Um, and so the next comedy night they had at the cricket club, I got up and I prepared a route. They had a joke, you know, you could get at the end and it was, you know, I don't know, $50 prize or something. Get up and tell a joke at the end of the night and um, the comedians would judge. And uh, everyone got up and everyone was just doing jokes, you know, jokes they'd heard. Um, and I got up and I'd written a routine. I forget what the routine was about, but um, but I'd written three kind of jokes and three little routines, and it didn't go very well. And at, at the end of it, I, I think I was just like, "I'm just a kid. Come on, I need the money," you know. And that probably got more of a laugh than anything else. Um, what were you, 14, 15? Yeah, about fifteen. Wow. And um, and these are all men, like you know, like yeah, um, you know, and drunk. Been on the schooners, <laughs> drunk men. Yeah. yeah. And the guy, the guy who won it, Stuart Farrell, um, he won. And Stuart was a funny guy. Uh, but I think, he, from memory, he just he, he's told a joke. And he, but he did say to me, he goes, I like what you did. You actually wrote a routine as opposed to just telling a joke. So, you know, I was encouraged again. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, these are the little, the little moments. What was high school like? Were you the guy that made trouble or were you the guy that? I was, Jerry Seinfeld once said that he, 
he wasn't the class clown. He was the class comedian. And I think that's, I think I was the same way. I used to, um, that we had a humanities class where the teacher would, uh, we had the oral presentations and she would get me to host like a Tonight Show. It was, it, Tonight Live was on, you know, I was yeah. you know, a massive Visard fan. And uh, so I would, in between, people would go up and talk about whatever they were talking about. And then I would say, okay, thanks, uh, thanks, Gary. Uh, and now we have on a great kid. Um, he lives in uh, Doreen Crescent. Uh, and, you know, do a 30-second ramble and introduce him, you know, Tonight Show style. And sitting at the teacher's desk, you know. Um, and the t- I think I knew when the teachers had had enough and it wasn't joke o'clock. And then I, you know, and there were times where I, you know, it was, it was a, a bit iffy. Um, but I got along well with the teachers. I was a pretty popular student. I was vice captain of the school. Um, and I did these productions as well. I sketched one I just did off my own bat. I yeah. just got a group of friends together and put it on one lunchtime in the theaterette. Um, and I remember it was, you, I kind of think back and you, I, I kind of think, who was that kid? Did you, did you ever do that? Like, sometimes you think back, like I went traveling overseas when I was 18 just by myself, like almost straight out of school. And I was like, who was, who was that kid that did that? <laughs> I can't imagine being that brave. Like, it seems like a really brave thing to do, but it didn't at the time. But I, I did a sketch show, which I wrote, and I got some friends to, you know, to be in it and help, help with it, where I wrote like a play and it was called Tuesday, and it was about a detective called Detective Tuesday. He was hired because game show hosts were being murdered. Yeah. Um, like Greg Evans and Larry Emder, and a lot of, a lot of these people I know now. Uh, Larry Emder's a good friend. <laughs> um, and uh, but no, because nobody wanted the the the, uh, the police didn't want the and society didn't want the crime solved because I'm quite happy for these game show hosts being knocked off. <laughs> so they 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 hired the worst detective they could find, uh, which is me. Um, and uh, and this so uh, yeah, it went about trying to solve this um, this case. And there was a scene blind perfect match had become blind date in that time. So there was a um, because we didn't have any um, there's no girls that we went to an all boys school. There's no girls, so I just I said, well, let's just make the we'll make the blind date sketch all guys. It'd just be like a gay blind date. And this is a Christian brother school, so we did it. And you know, admittedly, there were some you know. Some jokes that wouldn't fly probably now, um, but I still thought it was all quite celebratory, you know. Um, and you know, everybody laughed, everybody kind of loved it. But I got into a bit of trouble for it because <laughs> the teachers thought it was, um, you know, offensive. <laughs> and so they demanded we videotaped it, and they demanded the tape, and we just had to kind of get like the next day it was like or two days later they demanded the tape. The principal hat wasn't there, so he he really wanted he wanted to see it, and we're just like. We, we, we taped over it. <laughs> we taped over it. Yeah. We've taped we video smash hits. Um, <laughs> and our parents are great because it was me and like my best mate. He kind of got – because he kind of helped out a lot with that. And our parents are great. Our parents just went, you know what? They they tried something. You know, they, they worked really hard on this. Mm. You know, they um, compared to – because it was for a particular project. I think it was called a communication project. Yeah. And uh, they said, I'm sure compared to – what some of the other kids have done, this probably stacks up pretty high. So, you know, I'm sure they're sorry if they offended anyone, but, you know, go, you know, give them some slack. Two things that really blow me away about what you just told me, which is that happened in not only in primary school, but also in high school, you had at least two teachers that recognised something in you and gave you permission to do this thing. No, 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 Peter, this is good. You're good at this. Yeah, no, I had, I had, I was really blessed actually to have, um, some teachers, particularly in high school. And I remember I was told that another teacher had said to the principal, actually it might have been the campus director, the teacher said to the campus director, you know, Pete might actually end up being working in this field. He might, not be, he might end up being a writer or a comic. And apparently he scoffed at that. And I, one, was really glad that the teacher kind of stood up for me and two, that, you know... Um, and two, I kind of found it kind of inspiring. I was kind of like, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. Ah. I'm going to show you. And there's another teacher, a political teacher called Mr. Smith, who he had a rule in his class um, in politics. He said, you can all, at any time, you can go for a joke. This is for the whole class. I remember saying it was like day one. Any time, you can yell out a joke. And if it's funny, you get to stay. And if it's not, you're out. 
So it kind of introduced this kind of you know, quality control. And there were some kids who were always getting sent out. <laughs> you know, no, I, didn't get that, I didn't get sent out once. So that was a real, I kind of like, I love that challenge. It probably cost me a career in politics because I kind of was concentrating more on, okay, what's the next joke? And how, <laughs> how can I hone this Was it joke? a fun class? It was a fun class. He was a really fun teacher. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, and uh, yeah, so along the way, I was yeah. really, really well supported and encouraged. That is Pete Hellier. You can find him on Twitter or Instagram, wherever you want to find your Pete Helliers. Um, we are in the middle of a best of episode. We'll return to our normal programming next week. And our next story to see if we can't lighten the mood some is from Alice Fraser. She is magnificent. Alice Fraser is a comedian, a writer, an ex-lawyer. Um, she's from Australia, but I think she's living in the UK at the moment. Uh, she's also host of the wonderfully cerebral podcast, Tea with Alice, which I'm happy to have been a guest on. Alice has a very interesting story, a story about following what you believe in, in finding your truth, and what monetary rewards balance against that truth, or even the joy of that journey. We do get a little philosophical here, but not before discussing in depth the topic of swearing. And if you need a moment now to to block the ears of small people in the car, now is the time because, boy, it gets filthy. I think swearing is clever and funny. Uh, a university study recently proved that people who swear are smarter. There you go. Yeah. Is it just more extensive vocabulary or...? Uh, it's a, it's, it is a way of uh, looking for... Uh, I can't remember it now. Sorry, I've been up forever, but... I like to fuck with people on the radio by, um, you know, bringing fairly mundane ideas but that have been proven by university studies, uh, peer-reviewed journal published studies, um, and that was one of them. That but was one of them. That swearing year. is Swearing clever. makes you smarter. I like that. I'll have to find it. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. I think, I think swearing is great. It's fantastic. It gives you a, a whole other level of emphasis. Yeah, yeah. C word particularly. Which one? The C word. Oh, it's glorious. I love it. I don't know if I can say it on your podcast. No, I've said it all the time. I, I'm actually coming up against this because my dad wants to see the show on Saturday night. Yeah. I've got a song where I say it's about, you know, don't trust your gut, don't trust your heart, don't trust your cunt, uh, don't trust the government, don't trust feminism. Um, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I make jokes when, I, when I, I do a little bit of a disclaimer before. I say, hey, who's okay with the word and who isn't? And, you know, I'll tell you when to block your ears and that. And, of course, the night my dad comes, I won't sing that word. I'll make a different word. But it will be less funny because that's a fact. It's just a better word. I All the other words for vagina are you, weak and flaccid. I implore you to have that conversation with your dad from the stage. Right. Sure. I implore you to say, dad, <laughs> I love you and... This thing that I do, that is what I love. I stand on stage <laughs> and I make people laugh and people pay me money to come and do this, Dad. Uh, I make them laugh because I say this word. Yeah. And they're all cool with it. And everybody, my father's never heard me say this word and you're about to hear me say it to him for the first time. It'll be the greatest freaking moment you could possibly give that audience. <laughs> It'll be amazing. I've had other nights. My dad is supportive. He comes and sees my comedy, uh, but he just doesn't like the swearing. And I, do, I still do it. I'll cut a few ones out. It's it's good because I know which ones are necessary and which ones aren't. Yeah, I do love a good. Um, I, and thankfully, Audrey pulled me up about it. Uh, Audrey was like, she's like, a lot of your swearing is very, you know, it's you know, bitches and motherfucker and cunt and very women based. Like, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I have to figure that out. I have to sort that out. So um, I'm trying. I'm working with cousin fucker lately. Uh-huh. It's a pretty good one. That's a good one. Because it's like... I mean, you go to, like, other other languages have some really good, like, they? Arabic swears. Amazing the combination curses. of family, sex, and, and blasphemy and animals. <laughs> Ama- my dick on your God is one of them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, like, uh, how do My you, dick on, on your, your God. God. <laughs> or the sound of the wind through the flaps of your sister's cunt is another one. The sound of the wind. I bet if anyone speaks Arabic, please, I want to know how to say that. 
It's, it's, I want to know how to say that. They're this, and they're good. They're good visceral ones. Yeah, I'm sure the consonants are just really chewy yeah. too. I think that's the favorite. My favorite part about swear words is how chewy they are. Well, my granny could swear in Hungarian. Bless her for two minutes without repeating herself or stopping. My grandmother does exactly the same thing. In Czech, and there was something else about that. There was something. There's a really heavy religious ones. Oh, my, the one that granny she start her her like the start of it was always which apparently has something to do with a horse's penis. <laughs> I don't know. And a kid. Amazing, amazing. So good. Yeah. Fuck, cunt. It's really not that. It doesn't it's hold weak. a candle. You want the old school, like, you know. Yeah. The, the, the sound of the wind through the flaps of your skin. <laughs> like, so good. That is so good, man. Oh. Well, it's like your brother is your uncle or something. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, your brother's your father. So that kind of thing. All of the brothers, ones, your father the ones means that are like, he fucked your mum. Yeah. Woo. There's all sorts of complicated. Oh, there's an Arabic one. Yeah. Damn. There's sort of complicated family ones. Uh, We've really got to pull our socks up. Good. We do just like things. Yeah. Maybe you should preface, maybe you should preface the song with this elaborate. is nowhere near as good as some Arabic ones. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what I'm actually going to do on the night. I have to play it by ear. Who was the so? You didn't want to do a law degree. You go to Cambridge. I did, they you, went to Cambridge, then came back and finished my law degree. Okay, so you come back armed to the teeth with all of the law degree, every degree anyone could ever want as far as, okay, workplace, take me now. Yes. So what happened? I finished my law degree, um, went to America for a year, worked at the Swiss bank UBS and hated it, then came back slightly depressed, um, and then uh, started work at a big law firm here in Sydney and worked there for a year and a day. Uh, by that time, I'm doing stand-up at nights. So I started stand-up properly when I was in New York. Um, and just every, I mean, every paycheck that I ever got, I'd look at and think, what would I buy with this money? And the answer was always and invariably, I would buy that time back. Wow. You know, <laughs> like... You really are Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. So yeah. now I have no money, uh, but I think of it as money well spent. The money that I don't have is money I have spent on the time I have. Mm. Such a luxury. Time. That's Alice Fraser. You can find her podcast, Tea with Alice, online, wherever good podcasts are heard. Uh, she's also on, uh, on Twitter and uh, Instagram. Next up. In our uh, compilation best of mixtape, Chaz Lichardello, he is a part of the incredibly successful uh, Australian satire group, The Chaser. For over 15 years, they've been calling out hypocrisy, lies and general bloviating by our public figures and making us either laugh or be outraged while they do it. Uh, Chaz is never one to shy away from commitment to a joke and as such, he's been arrested numerous times, received death threats, even been assaulted in the street all for the sake of satire. So I asked Chaz whether his fearless approach to comedy has been tempered in any way since having kids. To be honest, I, I, it's a, it's a weird kind of mindset I've got, which I don't think many people share. I don't, I kind of just have to carry on as if it's never, it's never going to happen to me. Like the, like, even though it has happened to me many times, you just, you just can't. You just can't be second-guessing people because if you're second-guessing people, you'll never do anything. And I know I become useless as soon as I start second-guessing. So, um, so I just proceed on the basis that, that the controversy is not going to happen, even though at all times it ends up happening. <laughs> they just, just keep on doing that. So the fact that I've got kids doesn't change the way I, I act for that reason. And I, and I think that the, the day I do start to become scared, I just got to give the game away. Right. Because uh, as I said, I just become useless. Well, you're clearly not scared. You've been arrested. I couldn't count. <laughs> I, I, I lost. What? Were you scared at all the first time you got arrested? Um, did you know? Like this might – did someone take your side and go, okay, if we do this, there are cops, you'll probably go home in the back of a dippy van. Uh, they didn't pull me aside, but it was really obvious. The first thing I did where it was – where I was in danger of getting arrested was it was the – it was actually our first episode of The War and Everything. Was The stunt I was doing was we were going to the big day out and at that point in time there was a lot of sniffer dogs going around and I was turning up to the big day out with just meat 
all over my pants, like underneath my pants, underneath my shirt, underneath my my drug sniffer dogs, basically. Yeah. People standing outside a massive festival, yes. trying to pick up on people who are trying to sneak drugs. Yeah, and I thought it'd be funny, and we thought it'd be funny for me to go there with just just packed with meat to distract the sniffer dogs and just see if the sniffer dogs would just jump all over me because I had all this raw meat. And they did. They were all over me. So I just, just jumped in. So obviously what was going to happen was the police would then, then, then take me into a tent, take all my clothes off, find meat and be very angry. That was the obvious result and that is exactly what happened. Um, I, to be honest, I, I was never worried about the police. I was worried about screwing up the stunt. Because when you go out to do these stunts, and this is the thing you're always worried about with the chaser. When you go out to these stunts, you're there with three cameramen. It's two days of shooting time. It's, it's, the whole thing costs thousands of dollars and you have to fill a... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Slot in the show, which if you don't come back with something, needs to be filled with something else. So there's huge pressure to come back with something. And that's what you get scared of. You get scared of coming back with nothing and the other guy's going, oh, thanks. Thanks for laying us all down. So that's what you get scared of, not the police. Like the police, what are they going to do? They, they're going to arrest you. Okay, so what? Like you, 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 they're not going to beat you, hopefully. They're not going to do anything that's going to really hurt you. They're, they're, they're professionals. And that's what I said with APEC as well. People always ask about APEC. You're scared of getting a shot. Okay, no, how, how amateur would the police have to be? So let me just explain the APEC status. Yeah, the Australia Pacific yeah. Economic... C. C. <laughs> Something. Conference. Conference. Yeah. 2007? 2007, that's 2007. right. 2007? Yeah. Um, I certainly remember I, I, um, there was a lunch, a ladies' lunch here at the Bondi Icebergs uh, just over the road and uh, it was all the wives of the Prime Ministers yep. uh, because, you know, we live in a white male heteronormative society <laughs> so, of course, women don't have any fucking power. <laughs> and um, there were armed cops on jet skis in the surf yeah. Shooing surfers away from the break. There were. With some sort of waterproof gun. <laughs> <clears throat> now, personally, I would have loved to see them like kind of jump over a wave and then draw John Woo style, you know, <laughs> shoot either side as they jump in a jet ski, but that didn't happen. No. Um, but you dressed up as Osama bin Laden. That's right. And went in a limo all the way through into the into the what they call the red zone, which so is the area. So you got through so many security points. Three levels of security. We got with past. fake IDs. With, yeah, well, well, no ID basically. <laughs> it's a, and just a limo with a Canadian flag. They didn't ask us our ID. We just drove straight through with this limo with a Canadian flag on it, and 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 several guys running alongside like the security did in JFK's time, which no one does now. Um, but it was like it was jewels and yeah yeah with earpieces in yeah yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and we got through three levels of security into basically we could have walked into George Bush's hotel like we just we got past all the levels of security to the high secure area and at that point in time we said okay well we got nowhere else to go we don't want to say hello to George Bush so we'll just get out and get ourselves arrested <laughs> and uh, which is what we did but yeah but and, and when we did that people were saying aren't you scared you're gonna get shot by the snipers because there were snipers everywhere and you go no. They, these guys aren't dumb. Why would they shoot someone who's dressed up like, like a school play? Yeah, like I was dressed up like a cliche. There's no way they'd shoot someone like that. That's not a real threat. Like you just need to have faith in people doing their jobs. You know, it's a, and, and this is actually another football saying, you control the controllables. You control what you control and don't worry about things you can't control. Yeah, and, like, and so I'm not worried about what the police are going to do. I'm worried what I'm going to do and I make sure what I do is the – is the right th is the best thing for the for the peace and let the police take care of themselves, which they they always do. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, do you have a standard operating procedure? Hello, chat. Is it like you know, those two? That fantastic, my favourite cartoon moment: the sheepdog 
and the, <laughs> and the wolf yes. showing, morning, Frank, yeah. hey, Ralph, and they clock in and then they spend the day fighting each other and they clock off, see you tomorrow, see you tomorrow. It is exactly <laughs> like that. Really? That's a great analogy. It is exactly like that with the federal police. Like we're doing, during the elections when we're going after Malcolm Turbo and Bill Shorten, they have the same security guards on every day. So it's not regular cops? No, no, it's not. No, they've got special federal police and – and they have the same guys on the whole election campaign. So we see them 20 times. We see them over and over and over again. And, and it does become routine. It's just like when the cameras are on, it's all in your face. And as soon as the cameras are off and they've pushed us away, it's going, nice try, guys. Uh, yeah, you're going to have a game. Good luck. See you next week. You know, like it's like that. It's just really kind of just, yeah, that no one takes it seriously or, or, or takes it personally. No one takes it personally. Um, they're all very nice to us. It's great. Yeah, there was but, a time there when it was almost like Howard was giving you – Howard insisted on going for a jog every single morning uh, out the front of his house in Kirribilli yeah. every single day. Yeah. And you were like, well, we'll just go see him at 10 past 7 when we do it yeah, every day. Yeah, absolutely. That was, it was basically a schedule. Yeah, like he just – yeah, he was very stubborn about it. God God love him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, i got to say, I'll give full credit to Howard. And I, and I gave credit to him at the time as well, but in hindsight even more so. He – and his security never made any attempt to get rid of us, ever. No attempt. Like they knew we were there. They knew we were there. They knew we were coming. They absolutely never tried to push us away. They never tried to – they barely tried to get in the way. They just made sure we couldn't make contact and that was it. And if we didn't try to make contact, they would leave us alone essentially. And it was just an understanding that they were there to protect – in fact, they said this many times, we're not his media managers, we're his security. So if you don't try and touch him, we're not going to touch you. And like the and they were true to their word. Like we could do anything we like with him, which I thought was magnificent. Because as soon as Howard was replaced by Rudd, that changed big time. Let me tell you, they became his media manager very fast. And like and yeah, and these days with Turnbull, just you basically need to be a terrorist to get anywhere near him. Like you just you need to need to act like that. You need to plot things out. You need to ambush, and you need to like just because the security aren't going to let you within cooey of him now. Whereas yeah, Howard, and this is this is not the changing times. That's bullshit because Howard was there during 9/11 and directly after when it was very high alert. But just they just. As far as they were concerned, as far as Howard was concerned, their role was not to protect him from the media. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, good on him. That's Chaz Lichardello. You can find him. He's got two Twitter accounts. One of them follows American politics as well. I think he's just C-H-A-S-L-I-C-C. Uh, but you can quick search on Twitter and you can find out uh, where he is. But he's very active there as well. Next up is Tommy Little. He's a comedian, a radio host, and a TV host from Melbourne, Australia. You can find him regularly in Australia on The Project, usually on a Friday night. He's also the Tommy part of Carrie and Tommy, which happens on the radio in Australia in the afternoons. He's always touring around the nation doing stand-up. Uh, here, Tommy and I discuss what got him started in comedy. I grew up in Melbourne. Yeah? In, uh, in the Burbs. What kind of Burbs? Leafy Green? Yeah. Yeah. The borderline of Zone 2. Oh, uh, kind of okay, on tram ticket. End of the tram line. Oh, okay. Um, Where that of, guy gets out with a little stick and he has to turn the, 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 the liver around, the lever, when he pulls the, pulls the thing off the wire and then goes around the other side of the train and hooks it back on the other side. Oh, to get across. Yeah. I mean, it was one straight. It was a straight road. Okay. Took it all the way out to the end of the line. Um, but, yeah, I was out kind of Box Hill way, which is, I mean, a suburban dream. There was the end of my street, there was a, a blocked off dead end. And it was, you have to be home before dark. BMX bandits. On for young and old, yep. Uh, cricket? Cricket, uh, onto one of the neighbour's sheds who didn't have kids and didn't like that. We, but he had a shed in a perfect spot to, you know, have wickets painted onto it and use that. So that would have slowly driven him to the tip of insanity. And, yeah, basketball ring down there, great times. Brilliant. Yeah. And what was it like, you know, being in the – Rough streets of South Central Box Hill. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty insane. You know, it was about ru running up and uh, running up to trains, writing a tag on it, and then someone going, "Oh, Thomas, your mother's worried about you. Want to lift home?" <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> what was your tag? Oh, I went through a few um, bad things. Styles with a Z. Theme one. Uh, uh, no, not with the Z. Uh, I thought that was hack for some reason. Okay. Yeah. I had a belt buckle that was LED lights that scrolled across and it would say theme one uh, in the building 
and then I changed it to the weapon is in the house. Yeah, it was bad. I, it was a real, um, what's the word for it? Cunt. How old were you? <laughs> Not even that young. That's the worst thing where you're like, I was probably, you know, 17, an, an age where you should know better. So you're going to house parties with your belt buckle flashing the weapon is in the house. Yeah, or this that was maybe a bit later because I reckon I was still wearing your standard issue Dada tracksuit. Ah. Yeah. Right. For that, with a backpack full of warm Melbournes. <laughs> did the, did the, uh, did the weapon is in the house belt buckle ever bring you anything other than? Yeah, I got punched twice. <laughs> <laughs> And despite his name, the weapon does not take a punch well. <laughs> One thing you should know about the weapon is if you punch him, he does not punch back. Was it a fast scroll or do people have to stand there staring at your crotch for, because it's quite a long phrase and not a lot of screen. Did you have, was it like two characters? Yeah. The, the weed, the weed, yeah. the weapon is in, is where the, 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 oh, you little. People just thought my nickname was different. They're like, have you met building over there? <laughs> have you met in there? It's awesome. Yeah, because it was. You'd have to look at it for 30 seconds to get the full. Right. Yeah. Where did you – this is prior to, you know, a lot of internet shopping. Where do you nah, get – this a, was early internet days. Oh, so you got yeah, a, yeah, order, yeah. a special order from Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. I actually think in a roundabout way, Steel Saunders, the comedian, I think he ended up making quite a lot of money off idiots like me. I think he was the middleman for those belt buckles. Get out. Because mm. he's a wheeler and deal. He does all skating accessories now. Uh, laces and really? skate gear and stuff. Yeah, he's always always done it. Um, and, you know, I think the LED belt buckles, because I remember bringing it up with him and he was like, ha, 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 I made a mint off fuckheads like you. I thought, <gasps> okay, I don't know who you're talking I to. I thought you're the green right god letters are like, you're pretty laissez-faire about the quality of this podcast, Steve. Still, you're, you're, I mean, like you're, you're all right with how much time you spend doing this and clearly not a lot. Wow. Yeah. I guess that's where the money comes from. Yeah. Yeah, you have it. And so what, he's always LA and back and it's like trade fairs and stuff over there. Oh. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Look at you equipping equipping Dawn. the equipping the, the young middle class white as mm. white kids of Australia with uh yeah. accoutrements. The identity stricken dickheads of the uh oh, look, you know, but it got you some look, you know, what point did the weapon decide drama school is for me? Uh I think well, when I left I was always in drama and stuff and, and and then I decided to study it after school but I didn't go to a good drama school. I went to like a short course for the College of the Arts and I hated it. Yeah. It was the sentence where they went, uh, to learn how to speak you must first learn how to breathe again. And I went, oh, the weapon go breathes. yourself 47 different ways. Thank so you. So one knows how to breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the weapon can breathe, mate. Weapon breathe. The weapon can even breathe in a day from time to time. What's that, a Winnie Red? Too strong. I'll have a holiday <laughs> too, thanks. <laughs> I don't want head spins. <laughs> um, and so I went to like... Just de- deacon. I did a contemporary arts degree and failed, right. it, failed it miserably, but met a comedian doing that. And then was like, yeah, I've always thought about doing stand-up comedy. Yeah? Loved it. Who was the first stand-up you remember hearing? Oh, Eddie Murphy. Really cliche. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fine. My brother and his mates would hire out the video. Delirious or raw? Uh, both. Yeah. Uh, Delirious is, I mean. It's amazing. It doesn't age well. Raw ages, Yeah. Worse, delirious is I reckon streets ahead of raw, but oh, absolutely. But yeah, it was 20, 22 when the, he did it. The homophobia and yes, yeah. it's a bit over the top. <laughs> yeah, and though so when he's got like he's got a room full of ten thousand people howling with laughter at the jokes he makes, you got to think, wow, we really have come a long way. It's only thirty years, but wow, we've really come a long, long way. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately not far enough sometimes. But well, yeah, the the stuff in the you know, in in uh, Raw where he's like, you brought that shit on yourself. You know, when he's talking about hitting his girlfriends, yeah. actually no, Eddie, that's not okay. Yeah, but his timing yeah. is extraordinary. His ability to mimic is extraordinary. Also, let's not underestimate the romantic charm of a bit of homophobia and racism. You know, when you see it from the time, and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's right. It's it's also an amazing, I mean, the leather suits. Yeah. What an, for, for a man spitting such vile homophobic remarks whilst wearing what is undeniably the campest outfit of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Fingerless leather gloves. You're like, oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so, but, so, but Eddie Murphy was that when? When did you see your next stand up and go? Oh, it can be different from that. Oh, probably comedy festival galas. Oh right, oh, it's already in Melbourne. You have that shit served up to you on a plate. Yeah, yeah Brisbane was a yeah ghost town. Yeah, it was. That was always. I thought, oh, those people. As Who would you take you? Were you old enough to go by yourself? No, nah, I wouldn't go. We just watch them on TV. Oh right, right. Yeah, that was always the mecca. Yeah, so I was like, oh, if you can do that. Oh, greatest in the world will come. Yeah, and. So you How thought wrong I was. Oh, really? You thought I can get up and do this? Um, yeah. Well, acting wasn't work. I just had it was a last resort. Mm. A lot of people choose. There's all these talented jerks that you know have law degrees and then choose to go into comedy. No, <laughs> not the weapon. <laughs> that is Tommy Little. I believe his uh, Instagram handle is Mrs. Tommy Little. MRS Tommy Little. He's an interesting guy. And make great, makes great teacups, gangster mugs by Tommy Little. Look them up. So we're almost at the end of this best of episode. And a big thanks to everybody that supports the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash osher, because you help me pay Andy Ma, my incredible producer who put this show together. And if you do support the show on Patreon, what happens is you get access to an exclusive podcast feed that only supporters get, but... Here is a little taste of one of those super special episodes. And it is with Adam Richard, the incredibly funny Australian comedian, TV guy, broadcaster, and all-around wonderful human being. Adam has made a living out of being funny for quite a while now. So here we talk about the craft and even the business of comedy. I honestly believe, I should probably teach a class, but I reckon I could get anyone to do a decent five-minute set. Anyone. Like, I don't think I could make them have a career beyond that. But <laughs> you can start with me. Like, I would... like, you've got most of it. You've got most of the stagecraft down. Like, you you know, it's just more like there's just other bits and pieces. I don't know if I could ever do it, though, because people have such, such preconceptions of that. Yeah, there's that. You would have to be a character. Really? Yeah. Fuck. I know. It's the worst. It's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> what if I did some sort of storytelling thing? See? That would be fine. Or just told... But... Told stories about the days where I used to drink. Oh, Jesus. Do yeah. people want to hear that? <laughs> Morality play. As long as I change a few names here and there. Well, I do have I do have the fantasy of doing a festival show, doing the storytelling festival yeah. show. Um, but I would definitely need someone like you to, to help me write it and maybe direct it. Whole hour. That's a big ass. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But there's probably something in there. There probably is. I mean, shit, if Rosie Waterland can do it, I can do it. <laughs> there, I'm, look, but she's fucking funny. She is funny. There is. There would be something in there. It's just that, like, doing, doing stand-up is, uh, like, I, I did, like, a workshop for people about a year or two ago, and it was before the Comedy Festival show, and I was like, all right, who here is doing a solo show, like an hour-long solo show for the festival? And a few hands went up, and I was like... Right, how long are the spots you normally do around town at the comedy clubs? They're like, oh, five, ten minutes. I'm like, and you have another 40? <laughs> Up your sleeve. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, now you live in Melbourne, so you're already paying rent here. Do you think your one-hour show is good enough that you would be prepared to pay ten to $15,000 extra on top of all your other bills just to live in Melbourne for a month to do it, like if you weren't already living here, because that's what everyone else is doing. Like people coming from Brisbane and Sydney and, you know, Hong Kong and Malaysia and wherever they're coming from, they're paying minimum 10 to 15 grand just to be here, like for an accommodation and food and the whole works and airfares and... Do you think you're that good? Would you back yourself that much? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, why are you doing a whole show? <laughs> I was awful. I was like, I was like, if you want to be famous, you need to get on Instagram in a bikini. So that's no reason to do stand up. If you want to be make a lot of money, then you're gonna to have to be Will Anderson or Dave Hughes because they are the only people who are selling tickets hand over fist. Like otherwise, you're gonna maybe make the rent of you know the venue. I don't know about your house where you live. You might not make that money. Um, and then the other one was, uh, I went. If you're doing it for attention, you'll get attention. And there will still be a hole inside you, so you might need to go to therapy as well. So you need to have another reason to do it. Like you need to feel like you've got something to say. 
because that is the only thing that's going to push you over the line when none of those other things happen. That is not <laughs> what you want to hear when you sign up. You sign up. You sign up to a class going, this is it. Louis C.K., look out. Here it comes. Get Stan on the phone. I'm going to be booking my series next week as soon as I get this workshop out of the way. All right, Adam, hit me with it. How are you going to make me a star? And then you stand there. And say... That's great. What are you saying? But that, Why that could be, are you the, that could be it? the best thing anyone ever hears in there. Yeah. And, but it took you, what, 20 years to yeah. get that? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, maybe 10. Yeah. Like, but for the last 10, that's kind of been the thing. It's like, you know, I keep doing it because I feel like there's still something I need to say. I still feel like I've got things that I want to say. Um, what is it that you want to say when you go out there? Uh, look, when I first started, I was the, the only other gay comedian was uh, Sue Ann Post. So. You know, I was the only I'm gay in the gay village. In the village. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so and now I feel like, you know, with the whole marriage equality thing, I feel like there's still, you know, in this country, there we can hear things from a comedian that we don't want to hear from a politician, mm. that we don't want to hear from some asshole in the news, that we don't want to hear from any other yeah. place. But you hear it in comedy and you go, oh, that was a funny joke. And you go... Yeah, maybe he's right about the thing. Like, mm. maybe I have been barking up the wrong tree. I don't know. Like, I, you know, all I know is that when I was doing radio, I would have people come out and uh, write me letters and say, you know, I came out to my parents because I knew my mum thought you were hilarious and she would be fine with it. Like, like wow. that's, that's, I felt like that's all I've, you know, my entire career, that's enough. Just one kid being able to say to his parents, I'm gay and because they've not made a value judgment about hearing me on the radio or seeing me on the telly or, yeah. you know, seeing me at a, a gig and then they, you know, their biggest complaint is why aren't you as funny as he is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that was your parents. They're like, oh, yeah. that's lovely. Why aren't you really funny? <laughs> oh. Or tidy. Your room is a mess. I thought you people were meant to be tidy. My <laughs> mum said that to me once. <laughs> you people. My mum said that to me once. <laughs> Glorious! Oh, that's oh, that's absolutely <laughs> glorious. But the other thing with with like the, that same thing, I was like, after telling these poor kids all this awful stuff, I was like, okay, now I know the one thing everyone wants to learn more than anything is crowd work because you see someone do crowd work and it's like they're just talking to someone in the audience and they're hilarious and they're the master of the domain and it's amazing. And I said, the <laughs> the best way to do crowd work is to fail. Like you talk to someone in the audience, nothing funny comes out and it's going really badly and then on the way home on the train you go, oh, you know what I should have said? It's that. And then the next time you talk to someone in the audience, they'll have the same answer to the same question like a different person and you go, oh, that thing is there, locked away in your head. So the best crowd work is all from comedians who have failed and failed and failed again to say anything funny until they've just built up a huge like a gigantic uh, case full of jokes in their heads for any situation that would come out. Right. Yeah. I've got to have the Joan Rivers uh, card system. Oh, she was amazing. <laughs> that, that card system. That card system is incredible. So if, if you haven't cabinet. watched it, you've got to, you just have to watch that Joan Rivers documentary. Um, she has this old, uh, in the olden days when you wanted to find a book, you didn't have to type it into a computer. <laughs> you would actually have to go to this fuck-off big wild-looking brief, uh, like, chest of drawers. and had yeah. these, like that scene in Ghostbusters where all the cards yeah, yeah, come yeah. flipping out. It's like that. But she would put, what, like 75,000 yeah. jokes or I mean, something? That's how I still write my shows. Yeah. Like on those, yeah, on index cards. Like you go, okay, that bit and that bit and that bit. Then you have them all on the floor and it's like, okay, how do I get from there to there? I'll put that in there and that in there and then I might need a story that ties these three things together because I want... You know, because my theme this year is about change and so that's a change and that's a change and that's a change and then how do I get that in and, yeah. And I sit there moving cards around on the floor for days. And what does your husband do? Oh, he has not had to put up with that, thankfully. All right. <laughs> These are, yeah, I've only lived there for a year and All I'm right. not doing a show this year so he has... Yet to see the index yeah. cards. He has seen, he has come home to find me wearing my dressing gown at 6pm and uh, hammering away at the computer with, you know, 
Star Trek or some other nonsense on the telly. <laughs> and going, have you done anything? I'm like, yes, I've written 22 questions. <laughs> That was Adam Richard, and that brings us to the close of this best of episode of the show. Again, a massive thank you to Andy Marr for making this show. Uh, you can get him to edit your podcast at andymarr.com, A-N-D-Y-M-A-H-E-R.com. And I uh, thank you for listening. As I said before, uh, we will return to regular podcast guests uh, next week, and I will fill you all in about what's been going on. But thank you so much for everyone that has emailed through. Send Osher email at gmail.com is my address if you have anything you want to uh, let me know about or got any problems with. Uh, yeah, until we speak next time, look, thanks so much for the patience over the last three weeks, four weeks. <laughs> and um, until I talk to you next week, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.